So look with me, Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Let me pray. Father, we ask that as we receive your word, we would receive it as what it is, the word of God. The word of God that was superintended by the Holy Spirit through the author of Hebrews for the sake of your church, not only in the first century, but for the sake of your church in every age. We ask that as we look at this letter, your spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what he's saying to the churches. That we would recognize that Jesus is our true high priest. That we would understand the main point in this long argument he's been making about Christ being the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Father, help us to cherish Christ, to look to him as our assurance, to trust him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a pastor for nearly two decades, it'll be two decades here, 20 years here in October, um, I know it's often a temptation for people to look inward, to look into themselves for their assurance of salvation. We can tend to look to our sincerity of faith, to how well we've improved upon the means of grace, like Bible reading and prayer and um, corporate worship that have been given to us. We, we can tend to um, look to our own private devotional life or even our own public ministry. We can look to our intellectual capacities and and how well we understand the doctrines of the faith as some sort of harbinger with regard to our assurance. We can look to the strength of our inner emotional life for assurance. We can look comparatively. We can look comparatively upon other believers and wonder why we are not as fruitful as they are, as faithful as they are, and then lack assurance. Or, Notice that maybe we seem more faithful and fruitful and gain false assurance. There are varieties of ways, a variety of ways this can happen that we go after lacking true assurance. But underneath them all, underneath all of these, is the notion, is the, the idea that somehow I can mediate between God and myself. If I, th- I think that if I sin, 
If I sin, I can somehow overcome that sin with my sincerity, with my joy, with my devotional life, with my faithfulness. We just plain struggle to believe that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's what John says in his first letter in chapter 2 and verse 1 when he says, My little children, I write these things to you so that you might not sin. But if any of you do sin, he knows they're going to sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. We have him. Jesus is our advocate with the Father. He is the true high priest. He is the true mediator. He is in heaven, even now, ministering on our behalf. And he is more than enough for us. More than enough. We will see this in our passage in Hebrews this morning as we look at it. In Hebrews 8, we get the main point. The main point in all this exposition of Christ as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The sum and substance of the whole argument is summed up here. And it's summed up really this way. It's summed up in that Jesus' high priestly ministry is far superior to every priest who came before him. And it's far superior to every priest who came before him in two regards that we're looking at. First, it's far superior in that Jesus serves in the true priestly office. That's verse 1. He serves in the true priestly office. And second, it's far superior in that Jesus serves in the true sanctuary and tabernacle. He serves in the true sanctuary and tabernacle. That's verses 2 through 5. So let's look at our first, the first regard in which his priesthood is far superior. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1, and we'll look at Jesus serving in the true priestly office. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this, and I, I wish that the ESV had um, done a bit of a better job translating here. The, the Greek really is driving at this idea of the main point. The main point in what we're, be, we're saying. Um, we might be able to say, that the author of Hebrews is, is sort of stating like this. Here is the sum and substance of this whole argument I've been making. Here is the main point. I'm bringing you to it. And what is the main point of what we're saying? Now, the main point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. What's the main point? What is the sum and substance of this argument? We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. This is speaking of Christ's exaltation. The exaltation of his office as the high priest. He is the heavenly priest king. What Melchizedek was a type of back in Genesis what he was a type of as the king of righteousness and of peace and as the priest of the Most High God, what he pointed forward to and what the Levitical priests were a type of 
is fulfilled, it finds its substance in Christ. All through the Old Testament, we had priests. And they were all go-betweens. They went between man and God. If you will, prophets speak from God to man. Uh, Priests serve man um, toward God. They go that way. They came to God, those priests, on behalf of men. And they served us in bringing us before the Lord. And this high priest was the true high priest that they were all giving you types and shadows of, pictures of. And when I use the word true, I want to be really clear here. When I use the word true, I do not mean the other high priests were false priests or phony priests. I mean they were types and he is the substance. Think of Jesus' language in the Gospel of John, for example, when he says in John 15, I am the true vine. When he says, I am the true vine, he's picking up language, for example, from Isaiah 5, where we're told that Israel is the vine of God. And he's saying, I'm the true vine. He is not denying that Israel is God's vine or vineyard. He's saying, I'm the true vine. Israel's the vine in the Old Testament as a type or shadow. Jesus is the true vine. He is what Israel pointed forward to. Or, for example, in John 6, when Jesus says, I am the true bread from heaven. He is not saying the bread that came from heaven, the manna that came from heaven, when Israel was in the Exodus in the wilderness, he's not saying that that wasn't real bread that they ate. He's not saying it was false bread, and I'm the true bread. He's saying that God really gave Israel real bread. God gave them that bread for a time to feed them and to keep them alive. But that bread was pointing forward to him. He is the true bread who would feed them forever, giving them eternal life. Likewise, the Old Testament high priests were sent by God for a time, for a season, during Israel's immaturity until the heir would come until the true high priest would come. And they ministered the grace of Christ to the people in and through types and shadows. But they were types and shadows pointing forward to him. He is the true high priest. And his office has been exalted. Notice what it says. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. What's that pointing to? To be seated at the right hand speaks to his exaltation as king, as lord. This is the language that would speak to royal power, to sovereign rule and authority. It's the language of Psalm 10, excuse me, Psalm 110 and verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus was a humiliated high priest during his work or his ministry, if you will, on earth. He was a humiliated high priest. He was a man who suffered, who was mistreated, and who was crucified for our sins. This was his service of humiliation. But now, but now, he has risen from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is exalted is exalted. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is now serving in his exalted office. He is the high priest who has sovereign power 
and authority. I, I want you to grasp a bit more here, though. Hebrews connects this sitting down of Jesus with more than just his glorious and sovereign power over all things. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. I want you to see how it's used over and over and over again. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, the last phrase there, or last sentence there, says this. After making purification for sins, after the atonement, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and notice the connection again. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service. They never sit down because they're never done. They're never finished. They stand daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Jesus, or when Christ, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be a footstool, made a footstool for his feet. For by a single sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll notice the connection again. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, after his atoning work was complete, he sat down. The old typical, if you will, the Old Testament typical priests never sat down in the tabernacle, nor in the Holy of Holies. They never remained in there. They came in and out. They brought sacrifices and offerings in there over and over again. For their sacrifices were only typical. They pointed forward. They could not in and of themselves remit sin. They could only offer you the Christ who can remit sin. So the sitting down is a reference to Christ's work of atonement being complete, being done. He has finished his atoning work, and he now rules and reigns. And now from his eternal throne, he continues his priestly mediation for us. And that leads to my second point. Leads to my second point. Jesus is not only the true high priest who's been exalted, but he serves, Jesus serves in the true tabernacle, in the true sanctuary. Um, those are two separate terms. Jesus serves in the true sanctuary and the true tabernacle. Look at <coughs> Hebrews 8 and verse 2. Notice how it starts off. A minister, he is sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty on high, in, in heaven, a minister in the holy places. The holy place, the sanctuary. <clears throat> That's the holy of holies, the inner place. And in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. 
Now notice there are two terms mentioned here. He is a minister in the holy places, and he is a minister in the true tent, the tabernacle that the Lord set up, not man. There is a word and there in the Greek. There's a chi. Um, some commentators want to make uh, right between a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up. They want to they make those two things. Um, I'm trying to find a, a, a not so hard term. Well, epexegetical. They just want to make, that's the proper term. They want to make them sit right next to each other as if they're the same thing just being said in two ways. I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. I think he's referencing two different things here. A minister in the holy places or the holy holy and the true tent or tabernacle is a better translation, I think. And in the true tabernacle that the Lord set up, not man. Now, I want to look at both of those terms. But first, I want you to pay attention to what Hebrews just said. He is a minister. He is a servant. This is a word for priestly service, priestly ministry. And I want you to stop and consider this for a second, following what was just said. We just heard that when his atoning work was complete, he ascended to heaven and was seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And then we hear this startling term, a servant. He's on his throne in priestly service. Though Jesus has been exalted to heaven and is glorified there, he continues to minister, to serve as a priest on behalf of his church. In the height of his glory, he is still ministering to you. Jesus ministers for us in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle. Now let's look at each of those. He is ministering in the true sanctuary. Look at Hebrews 8.2 again. A minister in the holy places. He is ministering in the sanctuary, the true sanctuary. The sanctuary is the holy place, the holy of holies in the tabernacle, that place where the Ark of the Covenant was, that place where uh, they had a curtain they could only go into once a year on the Day of Atonement, that place where God's presence dwelt in holiness, and if you went in there, you would die. That place, he's a minister there in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. When the high priest slaughtered the sacrifice, what he would do after, after he slaughtered the sacrifice is he would carry the blood of the sacrifice into the holy holies of holies to make propitiation for the sins of the people, and he would put the blood on the mercy seat, and he would leave. And what we're hearing is that Jesus, after offering the sacrifices, our high priest, ascended into the holy of holies, the true holy of holies, the true sanctuary, and he put his blood, if you will, on the mercy seat, and he sat down and stayed there ministering to us. Look at Hebrews 8, verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. See, he went there and offered something. What did he offer? 
Well, we know that he offered, if you look up at chapter 7 and verse 27, chapter 7 verse 27, he has no need like those high priests, the Old Testament high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. See, he offered up himself, and then he carried that offering into heaven. That's why it says in verse 4, look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 4. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. See, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest as he was not a Levite. He wasn't a Levitical priest. He was not a priest according to the law. He was the Melchizedekian priest, the priest by an oath from God, the priest on the basis of an indestructible life, our eternal priest who offered himself and then went into the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies, the holy place, the sanctuary in the temple, in the tabernacle, was always a type. It was always a type. It was always pointing to being in the holy presence of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24. For Christ has entered... Not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. See, that sanctuary, that holy of holies, was a type, a picture, a copy of what God showed to Moses. And it was pointing forward to the substance, to the true thing, the sanctuary of God's holy presence in heaven. And he ascended into heaven, into the holy of holies, and offered his sacrifice there. And he sat down, which human priests never did. They stayed standing. He sat down, and his sitting down was the completion of his atoning work and his offering for us. His sitting down, though, does not mean that he ceases ministering. He is continuing to minister to us. He is doing so, that's why he says he's a minister now. He's a minister in the holy place. He is brought the blood of the sacrifice in. He has entered the place of God's glorious and holy presence, and he is ministering for us there. He continues to minister there for us in heaven. What is he doing? Look at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. What's he doing? Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Ultimately, here's what he's doing. Jesus is ministering to us in that he is securing the benefits of his work for us. He is ensuring that every benefit of his work on your behalf is received by you. He is your surety and security as high priest in his ministry 
right now in heaven. That's why Jesus is the guarantor, the surety, the security of a better covenant. He is in heaven right now as the priest king, the glorious and exalted one serving you, making sure that your salvation, the benefits of his work are given to you are received by you, are yours. Now let's look at the second term. He is ministering not only in the holy place, he is ministering, verse 2, a minister in the holy place, and I would say, I want to say, and in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So what is the true tent? This word is also translated the true tabernacle. Tent, tabernacle is neither here nor there for me. What I want you to understand is that The true tabernacle is this place where God dwelled. God dwelled with his people in the tabernacle. And what I want to argue is that the true tabernacle is the body of Christ. It's Christ in his incarnation. The word true is not saying that the Old Testament tabernacle, the Old Covenant tabernacle was false. It's comparing the Old Covenant tabernacle to the true tabernacle. It's comparing it to the better tabernacle. It's saying the Old Testament tabernacle was a type, and that type pointed forward to the anti-type, to the fulfillment, to the substance. And what was the tabernacle a type of? The tabernacle is where God dwells. God dwells in the tabernacle. The greatest need of man and the greatest blessing for man is to dwell with God. God. We lost our dwelling with God in the garden. That tabernacle, if you will. And we want to tabernacle with God once again. We want him to dwell with us and us with him. That is our great hope. That is our great need. That is truly what it means to be blessed. And the tabernacle was given as a type of that. And here's what I'm arguing. It is in Jesus Christ that God dwells in man. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's why he is referred to in the way he is in the Gospel of John. Keep your hand in Hebrews 8 and look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In the beginning, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is speaking of the Son of God in eternity. Look down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. He took humanity to himself. And the Word became flesh and dwelt. That is the word tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now look at John chapter 2. John chapter 2 and verse 19. Jesus talks about the temple. And look what he says in verse 19 of John 2. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build the temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple 
of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Look with me at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Let you see this again. Revelation 21. And, and look at verse 3. Revelation 21 and verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is the final scene where Christ and his bride are now together forever, the church. The dwelling place of God is man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now drop down to verse 22 of Revelation 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple, the tabernacle, is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The tabernacle where God dwells with man was a type of the Christ. The type of the Christ. Now this kind of typology or typology is often used in Hebrews. He is the true tabernacle. He is the true dwelling of God with man. And we see this kind of typology used. Look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5. Notice what it says. They, those priests, verse 5, they, those priests, serve in the tabernacle they served in, and with the sacrifices they offered, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern, the tupos, the type in the Greek, the tupos, the type, everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. See, those Old Testament priests and their sacrifices and the ta- their tabernacle or temple served as a type, a shadow, a copy, and they pointed forward. Notice what he's saying. Make, Moses, make everything according to the, as a copy or a type of what was shown you on the mountain. And when you stop and understand what this text is driving at, Moses was shown the incarnate Son of God in the Holy of Holies when he stood on the mountain. And Moses was instructed to make everything according to the type that he saw. Moses, we're told in Hebrews eleven twenty six, was looking forward to the Christ. He left the reproaches or considered the treasures of Egypt not nearly as good, not even close to as satisfying as the reproaches of the Christ. Now, now here's what I want you to understand. There's, there's a biblical theologian named Gerhardus Voss who compares this kind of imagery to an artist, to give you an illustration, um, to an artist who has a painting in his mind. If you think of a, an artist who in his mind has a painting, the painting is fully there in his mind, but the first thing he'll do is draw a sketch of that painting. And the Old Covenant, if you will, the Old Covenant tabernacle and priests and sacrifices are akin to that sketch. Moses 
saw, if you will, the image in the mind of God and was told to draw a sketch, a copy, a pattern, a shadow. And so he did in the Old Testament tabernacle and priests and sacrifices. Then the artist paints. And when he paints, if you will, the incarnate Christ in the new covenant is the painting. He was always in the mind of the painter. Now you might wonder, is is that a little too creative? But hear what's being said. When Christ comes in his incarnate work, he is making known. This is, by the way, right from Ephesians 1, verses 8, 9, and 10. He is making known the mystery of God's will, God's purpose, God's plan from before the foundation of the world. When Christ comes, he is fully revealing the mind of God, the plan that was there that Moses saw on the mountain. God's covenant with his son before the foundation of the world that David reports to us in Psalm 110. You you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek is the eternal plan of God, which Moses was aware of and which David was aware of. Then God gave us types and shadows in the Old Testament that pointed forward to him. Those types and shadows revealed the mystery of Christ in part, in part. But then he came, and the mystery of God's will was revealed in full. And what I'm arguing is that Christ is our exalted high priest who is ministering in the holy place, in the true tabernacle for us. He has sovereign authority and power. He is seated because his atoning work is completed and his ministry to us now, his ministry to us now as the true substance of all that was pointing forward to him, as the one who has now completed his atoning work and ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, his ministry to us now as priest is to secure all the benefits of his work for us. Think of that, Sovereign Grace. You do not make, you do not make all the blessings of Christ's person and work secure. You do not make them sure. You don't do any of that for yourself. Nor do you do it for others. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the true High Priest who ministers in the true sanctuary, in the true tabernacle, He is now, presently, as we speak, ministering to secure his blessings for you. That is good news indeed. You do not need, you should not rest upon your own work, your own effort, your own sincerity, your own faithfulness. You rest in his sovereign ministering hand. We looked him in faith and we are united to him by the Holy Spirit. And there in him, in Christ, we receive him and all his benefits. So we rest in him. Let me pray. Father, we give thanks for the kindness that you have shown us in your son. For the fact that you had an eternal purpose, an eternal covenant that you gave to your people, prophesied, and gave types and shadows of. 
in the priesthood and in the tabernacle and in the sacrificial system. And we give thanks that the Son of God became man and walked among us as the true tabernacle. He is God with us. That he lived and kept your law in ways that we were never able to. We were merely failures in that, rebels, sinners. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. We give thanks that he went to the cross and atoned for our sins, that he offered up himself as a sacrifice once for all time, never to be repeated. We give thanks that he rose from the dead, being demonstrated to be holy and innocent and undefiled, victorious over the grave, that he ascended to heaven, to the sanctuary, the holy place, and that he brought the offering before you. A holy and acceptable offering for all of our sins. And that he did not leave that holy place, but he sat down, completing the work, ruling and reigning at your right hand. That he did not even stop there, Father. We give thanks that he continues as our priest king to serve his people, to minister to us, to secure all the blessings that he bought for us in his life, death, and resurrection. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. May we look to him rather than ourselves. May we know that he is our security and not our own efforts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.